0: hello everyone today you have jake and seth and we are going to discuss the 1995 action film *GoldenEye*, directed by martin campbell and starring pierce brosnan as the james bond and i'm just going to quickly run through the the headliners of this cast sean bean isabella scotapuco bumpka jensen Joe Don Baker, and there's more. We're gonna go through all of them. Oh, you gotta I, put Dame Judy Dench. I was I was gonna add her in there at the end as a little top off, but she the all star cast. But Seth, when I say GoldenEye, what do you think?
1: I think of multiplayer video games. <laughs> I also I think of it's like a movie that hit you on all fronts. The BMW was a huge deal. That Z three was a big deal. The song was big. Uh, it was like it was one it's a typical 90s thing. Like Will Smith would do this too, where it's like the not just the movie would come out, like six different things of merchandise would come out and it would hit you on like all kinds of fronts.
0: And this was definitely one of the most effective. The I'd forgotten, but now that you're saying it reminding, I think my dad got a BMW shortly after this. Not the same one he <laughs> I, had, but there was a BMW buzz. It went on, continued with at least the next movie. And the song. Was I promise big. you,
1: this movie reignited people's love for BMWs because it, this was the first Bond movie that had a BMW in it. A lot of times, it was it was British cars, I think, and like, like the Ashton Martin. And so it's like the be I know the BMW deal was a huge marketing deal for them.
0: It's very uh, genius marketing, and it's some of the best product placement because it makes sense that this character would be driving. I think that type of car. Uh, it makes total sense to me, but. Focusing on the video game, that's what I think of as well. That to me, the video game. Yes. It. Since then, oh, well. it spawned a whole. It spawned a long list of imitators and probably predecessors and successors, but it to me, this is the original. Sure I want enough.
1: to say it's the first game I can remember. So I can remember playing Doom was the first first-person shooter I remember. And then the first multiplayer first-person shooter game I remember playing was Bond on N64, where it was like you'd sit down with four friends and you could all shoot each other. And that was like a big breakthrough. Because, it yeah, it spawned this whole rabbit hole of games through Halo and whatnot. Where, but it's like the first time I remember, like, friends sitting down and like doing first person shooters with each other was that game
0: it was the best use of co-op there were the racing games that existed but that would always stunk because there's i think one person was the racing game was there was more room for just random things to happen in the shooter and i think also in addition to that the actual gameplay the story gameplay was really good it follows the movie well and there's also some things from the movie that helped too- you
1: yeah, there's stuff in the movie that's like explicitly in the game. The whole opening sequence is almost like beat for beat, part, like in the
0: movie. And they also give you a laser watch, which you only use once, really. And it, but it's if you don't see the movie, you don't know what it's for. And I remember having seen the movie, I was able to share that information with my friends at the time, and they thought I was like a genius. It felt so cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it tied in really well, and it elaborated. It also added a bunch of things that weren't in the movie that fit. I think it also got me
1: interested, like more in the Bond world that game. Like, I was like, oh, there's like these old characters and like older movies, and like it kind of opened up the whole Bond world for me. I want to say
0: it was genius. And how having to unlock the characters, a lot of the things they did there, and I'm sure they might not have been the first, but I know they're one of the most influential. And this isn't a video game pod, but it just for us, it's it was really, (laughs) I loved it. Um, but I have to ask you, who was your favorite? Character to play in GoldenEye because they were I'm gonna, oh interesting. I'm, I'm so judge you.
1: if you really so if you really played GoldenEye a lot and you unlocked all the characters, everybody knows the best person to be in a multiplayer first-person shooter was Oddjob because he was like two foot two and you could run around with this little hat and people would like shoot over your head. If you, you everyone wanted to be Jaws because he was tall, but that was an easy guy to shoot.
0: So Seth, I don't want to clown on you here. All you had to do was kneel, and then you'd be right at Oddjob's level. So, I knew you're kind of basic for saying Oddjob. And to me, it didn't matter as long as I had my trusty gold controller. Although I loved oh. me Alec Trevelyan. Oh, okay. And I loved a little Baron Samedi. If I had those two guys on my side, I was ready to go. And I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I played with the Oddjob a couple of times. I like to partake, but he wasn't like. Oddjob
1: just gave me that little bit of an edge where it's like, oh, he's a little bit shorter than everyone else.
0: I'm not going to lie. I think I, I – lo- I don't think. I lost to Oddjob more than I beat job. Oddjob. Oddjob was – it's like Michael Vick in like 2001 Madden. It was one yeah. of those cheats. It's a cheat where it's just like he's going to win. He's going to win nine times out of ten. Uh,
1: unbelievable amount of hours wasted on that game. Oh,
0: unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, All right, so we've talked about the impact of the movie. Do you want to say anything more about the game?
1: Um, I, I, The game was just very influential. Both is like the, – the, the the game the single player game was really good but i just think the multi level the multiplayer like the experience of playing that game with friends was like really a breakthrough i feel like for game you're right there was like mario kart games have been out there and stuff but like that experience with with bond i mean i know i got that game the year the movie came out and it's like and i feel like all of our friends started playing that game it's just uh, i can't remember something like that
0: happening that christmas Everyone had sixty four and Goldeneye, and those who didn't yeah. got it by their next birthday. Um, but it was just one of those things for us as like our generation of guys, I don't remember many times that happened, but that was one of the few times I remember when Goldeneye came out, you either had a you had if you didn't have one, you got one because everyone was playing that game, yeah. and you had to be good because you didn't want to get your ass kicked by your friends in all those. Uh, that was you another thing too
1: like they'd come up at the end of the multiplayer and it'd be like this guy had this many kills and you never wanted to be the guy with like two kills and you died 20 times and all your friends look at you and you're just like
0: well then you'd also there's usually more than four people in the room so you'd be cycled yeah. out and then someone else would come in <laughs> yeah exactly um, alright so yeah game if you don't have it pick it up although I will say after playing uh, Halo Land Parties were also incredible and I think like the next step was... Uh, yeah,
1: uh, Halo was definitely like the next generation of it I just feel like that the the 007 on the sixty four was like a real, like uh, just a the spark of uh, something new or something.
0: You always remember your first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let, let's dive into the movie. And Seth, I think first. So this movie was a huge success. It cost sixty million to make and it made uh, three hundred fifty two in the box office for basically a six multiplier. And I only bring that up again. That that's really how these studios. Uh, barred away the most
1: successful of the bond franchise to that point
0: oh yeah without a doubt and one of the things it did pierce brosnan wasn't a big name and a lot of the people with the exception of james James, uh, dame judy dench weren't huge names in this film but this elevated this elevated we'll go through it shortly at least three or four of these people into a like a list
1: yeah, but definitely Brosnan went from, like, kind of a working man's actor who was, like, maybe he'd land a, a leading role here or there, but to, like, actually becoming a, a leading actor in Hollywood that could carry a movie.
0: I remember the criticism of him was he was a TV actor, best known for Remington Steele, like, ten years before. That was the that was the knock on him, that he was, a, like, a TV I acting mean, guy.
1: I'm not going to say anything, Jake, but I think Lawnmower Man's a great piece of work by early Brosnan.
0: Oh I agree I, I agree uh, we'll get ready we'll, we'll dive I guess we're diving into the bras now um,
1: well I will, so yeah if we're gonna dive into bras now um, I will I'll, I'll say this I think what works so well with him in this movie in regards and comparative to like the rest of his run as Bond I think this is the only movie where he's actually enjoying playing James Bond and I, it really shows in the movie and it shows in all of his dialogue and stuff whereas like I really feel like the other movies for him were Paychecks that he didn't really want to do, and he kind of felt uh, uh, almost. Uh, I mean, I feel like all these Bond, all the people that play Bond at some point, feel trapped by the character. But I feel like that happened really early on with Brosnan. And I feel like Goldeneye is the only one where he's actually like enjoying himself in the character and enjoying like having the witty quips and enjoying like being with the women and driving the fast cars. Like, he just seems so comfortable doing all of it. And the chemistry is good with Natalia, kind of. Uh, it, it's at least better than it is with the other women in his future movies, I think.
0: I agree. Um, I think this is his best performance. I think it's no surprise it's the best movie. I don't know, if it, we'll go yeah. into the success of them relatively. But one of the things I want to call out in this that stuck out with me is they have all the cheesy lines. He, he kills someone, it's like, she always enjoyed a good squeeze. Like There's a lot of quips, yeah. But, he likes them and they work because he's delivering them well. And I'm probably oversimplifying it, but in the future movies, I always think the last two, it felt, it felt like you're pulling teeth with him. There's a scene in the last film where he's being tortured in North Korea. And honestly, I I think that that was the best acting I saw the whole, like in the last two movies, that was, I felt like that was the the truest. I felt he truly felt that pain and I don't get it. And that's something I want to dive into later. Is how quickly. It's definitely
1: more in the Roger Moore mold of a Bond, where it's like the more proper British-y... Um, he's a gentleman. Yeah, the gentleman Bond, exactly. The
0: James... Yes. Uh, I mean, the new Daniel Craig one, he's really more of a thug. It's a thug painted as a gentleman. And the, Which
1: is kind of... and Connery... That's kind of what Connery was. Connery is more of the big womanizer, is what people's real problem with Connery's portrayal was.
0: Yeah, Connery. Connery turned out to be a bit of a shit himself. <laughs>
1: It's hard, it's hard to watch those movies and not see all the misogyny. Uh, the the old Connery and not to, like I think Connery's a great actor. I think he's underrated actually at this point, oh, yeah. but
0: it's hey, uh,
1: it's tough to watch some of those movies.
0: I better for fair or not. I divest people's personalities from performances and I really like Sean Connery as an actor, but as a human, you can go back. He was a dinosaur. <laughs> he he says it's okay to like hit women when they speak up. He he wasn't a very <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, modern guy. But I'm not going to sit here and bash him. I think he was born over 100 years ago. So. Um
1: I wanted to the I wanted to say the opening sequence of this movie. And all Bond movies have very formulaic uh movements to them. And one of the first movement is always sort of this action-packed opening. I actually think that Goldeneye's opening might be my favorite of all the James Bond movie openings. And one of the reasons is I really enjoy his infiltration into this, like, Soviet weapons base. And then I really enjoy that they work in the uh, – they don't do this in a lot of the other openings, but they work in the Sean Bean character in that opening to set up the rest of the movie. And usually the opening is kind of like – is just a bunch of action and don't really relate to the rest of the movie. But I like how they, like, really do tie in the rest of the plot in their opener. And then it's just, like, a cool scene at the end where it's, like, everything's blowing up. He's got, like, a whole Soviet army chasing him, and he takes a helicopter off the runway and, uh, say, you know, gets the plane. And it was a nice sequence, Jake. I thought it was some good... Oh, also, the bungee jump in the beginning, that's a solid action sequence.
0: I loved it. I remember it was one of my favorite things about the movie. So I saw this movie with my dad in theaters, and I remember being blown away from the opening, and I loved it. And so going into it with that expectation, my note was, incredible opening act, great swan dives. What well, great swan <laughs> dives into and out of the facility. That Whoever anything. the
1: stuntman, it's clearly not Browson, but whoever's jumping off that thing is doing a great job. It's not,
0: but he also does a swan dive out of the facility to escape. Yeah, and I that's thought, what I like too, yeah. I thought it was just so cool. And also watching again, James Bond, again, I keep alluding to this. We're going to dive into, I think, some of the problems of this character. But at his best, he's supposed to be this stylish rogue, this charming rogue and in at that opening scene portrays him perfectly he's delivering the one-liners perfectly his stuntman's delivering a lot of the action well uh, but you like and in that scene he he is able to establish a rapport with alec and sean bean yeah to identify him as being funny brave and also resourceful how he's able to escape out of there using the explosives to as he walks by in this like comedic moment and how he's able to jump, chase the diving plane—he's very resourceful, and I think it really establishes him and makes him formidable in a really effective way. And one of the, and it also, as we move forward throughout the film, we also realize that it's—we come back to this. This was bigger than this was a bigger moment than we realized. He didn't just lose his friend, but it also him setting the bombs shorter than they—he told his buddy. It was interesting. I thought it was a really effective scene. And the movie, in terms of the like, whole movie in is a terms, consequence yeah. of the opening scene.
1: In terms of like screenwriting and storyboarding, I think I could just like that scene was done like to every inch, you know, every inch of that sequence and the and that opening infiltration was just done to like you can tell it's like every hair was in place for that part. They it had taken years for this movie in production. It's like they really did like hit a long drive off the tee with that first scene. I think
0: they kept delivering them that like, and from yeah. there and like, even as you move through the movie and we're not going to move it, move through it inch by inch, but they really just kept introducing more and more characters. And I didn't realize James doesn't even meet his romantic lead until more than an hour into the movie. He's more than halfway yeah. through the movie before he finally meets and someone but... over. and they don't even have a proper conversation for another 10 minutes. And it's just, and this film, one of the things it does really well, and I think it's really hard to do in any film, they'll introduce characters who you haven't seen before, and they'll fit in, and you, they'll they'll leave, but it works. Or, or they'll come in and out, like Robbie Coltrane as, as uh, Valentin Zukovsky, the Russian guy who's also Hagrid. Um, yeah. at, there's Chekki Karyo as Russian defense minister, which really turns out to be a cameo. Uh, there's just, and I won't go through all of them, this film... The world they create in this opening scene it's big and it's bold but it also feels very organic and real and it enables them to bring the swoop and rotate these bigger than life characters in and out and some i said some of them only in for a season one scene some of them pop in and out alan is right. another guy who comes and goes throughout the film but it all works and, and i think it works Same with Joe, jordan baker's
1: like the american yep. agent he kind of comes in and out too I, yeah, I thought they did a nice job just juggling the more minor characters. They're all pretty good at who they're portraying, but they don't, yeah, they don't, like, burn any of them, too. Like, Joe Don Baker, I think I would have got bored of if he had too many scenes, but it's like, I could take, like, two short scenes with this guy.
0: He's a bit of a caricature, and um, we'll, we'll get into It's funny to me that,
1: like, the one American guy in the movies wearing, like, a Jimmy Buffett hat and a Hawaiian shirt. It's like, come on, like, we're not all, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, the Russian, the cup corrupt Russian general swinging vodka. We'll get into the yeah. caricatures of the Americans and Russians. That's true. I guess as we I go through to the to characters. You,
1: um, this was the first time there was a female portraying M with, with Dame Judy Dench. And I think one of, the, one of the things there was buzz about when the movie came out was just, like, the way she talked to Bond. And I think this was, like, in the 90s, it was a real response to, like, the old Connery womanizing type of Bond. They wanted a strong female as M to kind of talk down to Bond. And I thought that was like, it's a very kind of 90s thing to do, but I actually thought it held up well. I liked all of her scenes.
0: It held up well. It's aged well. I really think it's ahead of its time. I, I, I kind of remember that too. I I remember that as well. And when you go back and look at this, and she's doing a lot of the same thing she did with Daniel Craig, I think more effectively here because of who she's working with. But uh, I'll get on my Daniel Craig shit train later. I, I thought James Judy. De- I thought Judi Dench's M worked, and she's also one of my favorite things about the entire franchise. Much like Q, I love that they've kind of used her across multiple bonds, and I think yeah. it kind of helps create this tenuous thread. But I love Judy Dench in almost pretty much all things, uh, even the movies I don't like. I always love Judy Dench, but I'm not just giving her a free pass. She's an awesome M. She's an M who, as I think I said, this as she's the type of leader who I think you'd follow. You wouldn't want to disappoint. You respect. But, like, you also – she's a little prickly, but you'll do anything for her. I'm kind of losing myself here. I really like the I also, that. Well, it's like,
1: I also think these Bond movies are always very representative of British people and the United Kingdom and their culture and stuff. And I think it's just telling how much they – Sort of enjoyed her portrayal of it, and I—it's th- very—it's just like a very British thing, I think, to have this very strong-willed woman calling the shots.
0: Well, the one thing I will give Britain is they've had a female prime minister. We have not had a female president, so uh, we're giving them some shit here for being a little misogynist, maybe. But uh, they—they—they've they've had their own. Uh, uh, well, yeah, Britain's it's like uh, yeah it's-
1: I, I I thought the dynamic worked well that she's sort of like Bond, you're this dinosaur womanizer. I, I got no respect for you, but it's like I need you to do my military operation, or yeah. you know that's kind of what her point of view
0: was. I guess the way I look at it is she understands he's a relic, but there's still a use for him in this new world. Yeah, that's kind of my my pick on her. But so okay, so I liked her, but I think we should move on to the next character, who is. One of the things I didn't realize going into it, she's really the other lead, Isabella Skorupko. She's not a regular Bond girl. She has her own storyline for an hour outside of Bond, and she's like portrayed to be formidable and smart. Yep. She has her own agency. I really liked her.
1: The more, yeah, the the more sort of stereotypical Bond girl is the Famke Jansen character, Zena Onatop. Uh, oh, we'll um, get
0: in here next. Don't, 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 don't jump but, uh, ahead. Yeah. I
1: just want to, like, you're right that they kind of go, they also go unconventional with Natalia. Cause I think normally uh, the bond girl is sort of the damsel in distress that needs to be rescued from the villain. And Natalia is more up in the fight and hacking and, and helping. And she's actually the one that saves the thing at the end, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. She has the satellite blow up in the atmosphere instead of it falling all the way or something. Uh, it gets a little cr- hectic with me in the satellite stuff. I'm not 100% sure I understand how the Golden Goldeneye itself works.
0: But... I don't either, <laughs> but we won't get caught up in all that fancy mode. Yeah, um, uh, I did think, uh, but that's also talking, cool talking about, though, yeah. sorry, just to cut you off, but that also I think kind of shows, now that we're talking about it, Brosnan being a relic. He can do all this stuff, but he can't do the one thing he, that he needs to do to save the world because he doesn't know anything about computers. She's
1: like an unconventional Bond girl.
0: Yes. So yeah, we were saying uh, Natalia unconventional. I'm sorry. I, I cut you off. I was just trying to say Yeah, I
1: just, she's just not sort of the damsel in distress type uh, who like needs to be saved from the villain. I think she's more like she's she's helping more than Bond in some cases. Like she hacks the satellite thing. There's this sort of little battle between her and Boris that she kind of comes out on top of.
0: Yeah, she has her own rivalry. She's really her own she's a partner. She, she's like yeah. a, a a partner in it. Um with that being said, With a more discerning eye, I don't buy their romance. They are with each other for 10 minutes. They don't talk to each other. They seem to really dislike each other. And then there's a chase. They literally have known each other, spoken for less than two minutes in the movie, and she's kidnapped, and he's chasing after her in a tank, which we'll get into, one of my favorite scenes, and she looks around at him lovingly, and it hit me. I was like, this is not the correct way for her to be looking. It's looking as if she's looking at her love chasing after her. He and turns, that's some crazy yeah. british agent she just met
1: she she falls for him after the tank chase as you yeah which i actually find that that sequence i the the beginning of it i think is really cool where he just goes through the wall with the tank and he's like yeah i'm gonna chase you in a tank i actually think the scene goes on a little bit too long it's like i'm like okay i've seen the t-. it seems like they got a hold of that tank and they were just like we're just gonna destroy everything in the in sight and get as much on film as we can But I don't I, I I enjoyed the move by Bond. I I'm not sure I needed to see like five minutes of the tank in the street.
0: Um, So I liked the tank. Not wrong. I liked it. But I will agree, the last half they're playing it for a joke. He's like riding around with a with a statue on, and then there's this more like physical comedy where it falls and the cars crash into it. But yeah, I yeah, there agree. was
1: a bunch of Russian people that were like kind of mad that they messed with the statues and stuff.
0: <laughs> I did like the overall action scene. like It's the second half of a larger action scene. I think everything that happens at the Ministry, I think overall it's a good scene. But yeah, I think the tank drags on a bit. Um
1: It's definitely, it's the biggest action scene in the middle part of the movie. Um, I think the two bookends, I think the ending sequence is probably, a, I enjoyed it more, I guess.
0: Well, We'll get into that in a minute, but you mentioned her. Let's go to Famke Jensen as Zenia on the top, because I'll tell you, as a ten-year-old boy, Seth, she was my favorite. She, uh, she awoke, she aw- awoken a young, a man in me. The, uh she shows up in that car on uh, the second
1: scene. I want to say, and uh, I actually I didn't remember that it was Famke Jensen until I was rewatching, and then I was like, oh, this is like how she kind of broke through. But she is, I mean, she's aggressive. I, I think I had similar feelings as you, where I was like, I don't quite understand what she's doing to these men but now as an adult it's uh it's quite the you know um masochist uh you know bdsm kind of thing going on
0: talk about being ahead of your time also a woman like physically overpowering the men i loved it i thought it, i i thought yeah. she was cool then and even watching it now she's a little more of a caricature uh but i really liked it also they developed her rivalry and relationship with bond more than they do with uh, the isabella natalia simonova character and i actually like that like and she really is
1: that's another another common thread in a lot of Bond movies is him, um, I would say, sexually persuading uh, sort of the female villains or like always getting in bed with the, with the femme fatale in order to like get a one up on the other side. And so they're kind of like dancing around that
0: in this but, movie. But I think one of the, the good things about this character is she doesn't sleep with him. She doesn't fall for her shit. She almost kills him multiple times. She basically uses that against him. I feel like she is his equal in some ways in that manner.
1: She's Definitely, yeah, you're right. He's, she's kind of she'll kind of do the thing where she'll use her looks to get close to a guy and then she'll kind of squeeze and move down.
0: So, with Amka Jensen, she's the one I'm talking about when I say elevate to an A list. She was in the X Men trilogy after this, she's been on Nip Tuck, she's been in movies, she's been in TV, she was in the Taken series. She, whether you want to, I think she's A list. If you want to argue that, screw you. Right I, I mean, she's she a minus, a yeah. minus, Yeah.
1: she definitely got big after this, and
0: she was young, uh, and that makes sense. This was her first big fan. But we talked about and This elevated – you look at his IMDb after this, the movies he's done since. He's now an established actor, whether you want to call him A-list or just like a really good one. I, again, I give him the A-list look. But I think it's time, Seth, do you agree? We talk about Alec Trevelin and the actor yeah. who portrays him. The yes. The Sean Bean. Have you heard <laughs> of him? Have you heard of him, Seth?
1: Sean Bean to me is like one of these guys – the common the common person will never know Sean Bean, and that's just the way it's going to be. It's like he's one of these actors, I think, that's always going to be right on the cusp. I don't know if he'll ever get over the top, but I do think this was like maybe his
0: moment. And I also... No, Ned Stark! Me,
1: well, <laughs> it occurred to me many times that he could have himself been casted as Bond. And if Bean and Brosnan had flipped parts, would Sean Bean's career be better than Pierce Brosnan's?
0: Sean Bean was already in Patriot Games, and he wasn't typecast as the villain. He might not have been typecast yet, but I think he was kind of on that path. But I, I would be interested to know if he tried out for it, because I know that happened in Thor. Tom Hiddleston tried out for Thor and got Loki. That ha- that's, that's, that's not uncommon.
1: I think, they, I think they definitely thought about Sean Bean as being Bond. And I think I think Brosnan won because he just has the more classical look and sort of sound to him.
0: Well, he's from North Ireland, and I think at the time that was kind of a, a stir yeah, that too was. that he wasn't from the proper England uh, or Wales. Yes. I'm sorry, I just insulted both England and Wales there. Uh, much love, but Sean. Then... So, do we want to talk about him? Like he went on, he went on to be Boromir, Ned Stark. He's had a really. If you look at the scope of his career, I think it's really impressive although i think he kind of gets bucketed in as a genre actor because a lot of it kind of falls in fantasy or action but i think that's unfair yeah it's like but like that's so unfair because that's such a huge part of movies during his career i think it's on it's like this isn't a good analogy but uh, i feel like it's like when they first introduced three point line and sometimes Mm -hmm. you still get this doug he shoots too many threes it's like yeah but he makes them yeah like that,
1: that's a good analogy. Yeah, like if yeah.
0: that's all yeah that's all you're asking him to do then why are you I'm going I'm getting too lost in this but No, I know, you know what you're what saying.
1: saying. It's like he does what you ask him to do so it's like why don't you give him more kind of I think he actually I I it's I think it works for the movie that he didn't end up as Bond and he ends up as Alec Trevlon, the the main villain because it's like you kind of get this mirror version of Bond against him. You get 006 against 007 and sort of like Bond's up against somebody that knows everything he knows and has like been trained the same way and all that stuff. So I like that in the movie it's sort of like this mirror image of Bond as the villain and he's kind of one step ahead of him.
0: I like that a lot and I think it really added the personal element and rivalry to the characters. The personal rivalry that I think misses from a lot of these Bond films, and they've really tried to shoehorn it in with some of these Daniel Craig characters, but it really worked in GoldenEye. And I actually
1: think that the they um, for the Brosnan Bonds, it would have really worked to have Trevlon be a recurring villain, and uh, instead of just kill him off at the end of this, because it's like all the other villains they try to make don't don't have any like real a uh, motion to it the way that the, the Trevlon does
0: with Bond. I agree. I guess, yeah, if you could go back, I wonder if they change it. You know what, the, I they... That would have been so out of character. That's not true. They did Blofeld. I'm sorry. I keep Yeah, they've kind myself. of done it.
1: I, like, I would have had him be the main villain in this movie, I guess. And then I would have had him sort of, like, just have him pop up for a scene at the end of, like, the other
0: movies so that, like, maybe he's still involved, sort of. It's funny. You don't need to, like, make him
1: the main villain, I guess.
0: They've tried doing that with Christoph Waltz and, like, remaking Blofeld. And, and they've really failed in this Daniel Craig thing. Oh, yeah, they so do I, that. I don't know if it's the same producing team. I'm pretty sure it is, though. But uh, I would like that. I would have really liked that, and Heights, I I think they would have preferred that too. Yeah, it's hard to, to know him. that
1: like all the other movies were gonna like not come out that
0: great. Also, I mean, again, I'm looking, not to rewrite it. Twenty five years later, but wouldn't that been a better ending? Instead of killing his friend, he brought him in. Like you realize that he's not, he's not just a cold blooded killer. He can, he can do something else. Like there's an other side to him. There's a human side. And it he, would can have been the man, he can choose the man and the mission, but what do I know? What do I? Know?
1: That was something else I noticed in the movie. The body count seemed absurdly high. I, I, I did not count how many people died, but Bond, I mean, he's killing people
0: left and right in this movie from the beginning to the end. <laughs> yeah, he wipes out multiple bases of soldiers. And I mean. The tank scene. Well, the, the tank the, scene and- alone, I'm sorry, that would be an international incident. That that, yeah. that wouldn't be there wouldn't be any tea and crumpets waiting for Bond when he got back. There'd be like nuclear missiles or Russian soldiers trying like that. Wouldn't be a, a ho hum yeah, everyone's you okay. You hijack
1: there. a tank and you take out a whole army of people like that.
0: And a the problem. city they were yeah. thinking out like blah. blah. <laughs> okay, I'm uh I'm I'm getting off on one of my tirades here, but no, I think uh I think this Bond. I don't think he was meant to be viewed. I think we're kind of looking at it through the modern lens. I think back then it wasn't supposed to be like, I don't think you're supposed to look at this man in a negative way as this whirlwind of carnage and death. I think it was supposed to be, at least how I remember it more so, was this is bomb. I, and you're not paying attention to the body count. You're just seeing a mow through all these people. But when you look at it and actually count, it's like he is killing yeah. scores of people in this film. I thought it
1: was more of just like at the time of those action movies, you know, at the time of like – the rock and face off and all of those kind of movies and i just wondered if that maybe that the people making this movie were sort of like we really just got to like you know he shoots to kill
0: kind of i don't know <laughs> there's the they make that joke in hot shots which is a parody of a lot of these films yeah. where there's a kill count and it's as the as he's killing people it's much like these action films he just has a machine gun and he's like spraying bad guys are just running up to him without firing or firing and not hitting and as he mows people down it's like more than terminator more than bond and it's like goes through all these famous action stars so yeah where we're going with this is we don't you're think, right
1: though i mean it, yeah. yeah we're seeing it with the modern lens but i just noticed it i was like wow you, we're killing a ton of people in this
0: movie. yeah with, with very little remorse i think that's one of the things to whether they're doing it well or not the new daniel craig films are trying to i think kind of peel that layer back a little bit of what does that are you a remorseless killer does that have any effect on you i don't think we're doing it very well but uh all right we're talking about the modernity here but to bring it back to sean bean i really loved him as traveling i also just love him as an actor should we have our own sean bean category should that be our joey pants category
1: maybe it's like i don't even know i mean he i it's like he's the He's the guy on the basketball team that, like, makes the team work. But if you didn't watch the team, you wouldn't know, like, who he is.
0: That's funny. I was going to say he's a lineman.
1: Yeah. Kind of, yeah,
0: exactly. He's, like, he, it's unfair because he had he is a leading man in some things. But, like, my thing is he does, never gets a lot of the credit. But he makes all of these big movies work. Whether it's *A Clear and Present Danger. or that's not it. Whether it's Patriot Games Patriot and Harrison Game. Ford. Whether it's Viggo Mortensen and Lord of the Rings. Whether it's yeah. this film with Pierce Brosnan, he goes head to head with. He's also in Ronin with Robert De Niro. He's gone yeah. head to head with some of the best actors of his generation, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying he's beating them, but he's he's bringing out the best of them and he's giving them exactly what they need. So I think to your point, he's the guy. He makes the scene work or he makes the team work, but he's not necessarily getting filling up the. the Which is, it's fortunes. like that's
1: exactly what you want out of like supporting actors and character actors. Like he's he feels that. I mean, he's all. It's almost like. I'd actually kind of compare him to a Christopher Walken, Jake. If uh, I don't know, if, if, I, I'm sure Walken was a bigger star. I don't think Sean Bean will ever get that name recognition, but I think that the, the same—not <laughs> Walken has obviously his own speech patterns, but what they do in the movies is sort of like a very similar thing, where it's just like a very heavy, heavy supporting actor, um, so and yeah, that. like you said, can act scenes with other big heavies. Who are lead actors.
0: Seth, I don't say this enough, but I love <laughs> you, man. That was, I, you just named my two favorite actors in the same sentence. Well, I love Walken and you articulated what I think they both bring to their projects or whatever better than I could. I, yes, fully agree. We're, we're going to work on this. We're going to yeah. come up with a award for that type of actor.
1: Yeah. We'll figure that. It's like the Walken Bean. We'll figure out who these people
0: are. That's and our job for you people. So I was going to ask, do you think this elevated Sean Bean? Because he was in Patriot Games, but to me, I was I was too young to appreciate Patriot Games when it came out. I so this it might be unfair to me to say this is the film that elevated him, but I feel it's like at least in our generation,
1: yeah. I for people our age, it's definitely the movie. When I see him, I go, "Oh, that's the guy who was the bad guy in that Bond movie." That that's kind of how I saw him for the next few years after this. Um, I, so like it definitely elevated him into a guy I recognized at least. Um, I still wonder. It's like anytime you have a guy like him or Walken, it's kind of like, it it always seems like there's a, uh, like a second dimension where they would have gotten more lead roles. Cause it's like, I actually feel like Sean Bean's a much better actor than Brosnan. Like toe for toe, Brosnan has leading man features and a leading man kind of like, you know, cadence and everything. But I think Sean Bean is much more range, much more interesting actor to watch and stuff.
0: I agree. I I think if Sean Bean, maybe if, Things have been pushed back a couple of years. I think Bean would have gotten it. Not to get too superficial here, I think Brosnan is the more uh, traditionally handsome, yeah, than Bean. yeah. And I think that's ultimately that might have been
1: the ultimate because
0: sort of Sean matter. Bean, to your point, we've seen him. I think the biggest thing that's changed in the last 15 to 20 years is now character considered supporting actors or getting leading roles because they've realized that if you're a good actor like people don't really care Like you can make someone yeah. a leading man whether through writing or the right what you can there's ways to do it and also if you make a good movie and the person has a good performance it doesn't really matter if they're look if they're the hand, most handsome guy in the room just look at seth rogan jonah hill michael Sarah. like i'm not trying to be mean to those guys but they're not the most handsome guys in the room they've all had success I'm getting off topic here, but uh, with Sean Bean, I love him. He has more, I think he definitely has more range. Just in the roles Boromir, he's the hero and the villain. And also, I I love him. I love Game of Thrones. I love him as Ned Stark. And I think he does a great job of portraying him uh, as what I think is a really, that's a difficult performance to fulfill. And I think he, not only did he do it well, he did it in a way that Ned, he kind of, in my i'm probably uh projecting here i think he cemented ned stark as like a character or an archetype within the and that's something that george r. r martin borrowed but he entered ned stark into the zeitgeist and i think that's really hard to do to be the good man and all to be the good man who's also like badass and tough and who people like is hard to do.
1: right there you go sean bean
0: sean bean that, wow
1: people need to watch more of his movies yeah
0: Oh, so there's a whole joke that he dies in every movie. Sorry, spoiler alert. So if you go on YouTube and put Sean Bean deaths, there's also another actor. I think his name's Tom Pertwee. Uh, we'll save him for another pod. But he's one of these supporting guys. He dies in almost every film. So
1: John Hurt was like the original, the guy in Alien, where the alien pops out. That guy dies in like every movie.
0: Oh, that. is that his deal too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let, let's move through these last few characters. You mentioned Joe Don Baker as Jack Wade, veteran CIA officer. Uh, he's portrayed, he's like smart, but he seems so he's sloppy actually sloppy and lazy. He,
1: yeah, the real he's actually the one I think the one holdover character from the Timothy Dalton bonds in the eighties, where he was like the CIA agent that would work with Timothy Dalton on what he was doing. And so that character, it's like he has some weird line in the beginning where he's like, Oh, you look different or something, but it's like that's another thing where it's like they're actually continuing what happened with Dalton in this movie. It just took like eight years from to do it. Oh, is that
0: the whole password thing too?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's this whole thing where they're talking about stuff that happened. Yeah. Like in that, And it almost made me want to watch, I think it's like the living daylights is the last Dalton one or something. But I was like, It's also the first time he sees M. He's like, "Oh, you're the replacement." And what he's saying is, "You you replace that guy." There's I forget the guy who, but it's a man who plays M in in Living Daylights. And so it's like there's a couple tie-ins to the to the Dull movie, which I found interesting.
0: Q was in I think every film up until one of the Craig ones or one of the Rosin ones. So he was also part of that connected. He was also
1: yeah. Q was part of all that
0: too. Um, I liked him in it. I think now is a good point to get into it. (laughs) I. I remembered a little bit at the time, but now watching it, they really take a shit on the, on the Yanks, as they say, and the Russians. I mean, I remember the time it didn't bother me about the Russians, um, and I'm not not that I am a huge Rush fan of Russia, the political state, but they really take a shit. I'm sorry, England in 1995... You may have better spies, but they're they're just talking about Russia and U.S. like they're fucking no one. And I'm, <laughs> I it kind of begs belief. I'm like, you're talking, yes, Russia. It's after the fall of communism, but like these are still superpowers. Russia might be like they're not. It didn't bother me at the time, and it doesn't ruin the movie for me now. But and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like at 10 years old I was a political expert. I went back and looked at it, and yes, the UK is one of the most powerful countries on earth as well, but I don't think they'd speak so glibly about just tearing down, you know, full buildings and streets and the second largest nuclear superpower. Like there's just certain things you don't do when Russia really or to Russia.
1: One of the things I, about the plot I sort of found myself hung up on was that like, part of Trevlon's motivation for turning on the British was that he was this lens Cossack. And I guess at the end of World War II, like, the, 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 the Cossacks were the Russians that didn't want communism, I guess, and, and still believed in capitalism, and at the end of World War II, they were in England, and then they were forced to leave and go back to Stalin, Russia, and it's like, it was this huge betrayal they felt after they helped England and the U.S. and the Allies win the war, that they still had to go back and Stalin Russia, and that that's the real reason he wanted to get revenge on the British, and I was just like, I mean... See, he, I guess he says it's his parents that, that that that's what it happened to. And he remembers his dad committing suicide or something because of this. But I was just like, it seems a little, I don't know. It seems like it's a generation ago. You're really going to turn on your best friend and like the whole British government to try to do this coup or something.
0: I think, I think we're looking at it again through the wrong lens. I think Probably. in the night and well in the nineties, a lot of this stuff was coming out like that Switzerland had kept a lot of the, the bank, the banks of Switzerland had kept a lot of the, Uh, Jewish property that the Nazis had given them, that there were other French banks, German banks, were doing this stuff. This is also, I think, when more attention was being brought to the Japanese internment camps in the U.S. I think this was a time of self-reflection in the West after the Berlin Wall had fell, where I think the West finally became comfortable with kind of acknowledging some of the worst aspects of our culture. So that's that's kind of my take on it. And also, just to talk about that for a second, not to take a shit here on the Brits, but as someone who's reading a book right now talking about the frontier after the american revolutionary war and it's all about british using the native american tribes the same as the french did as a they used them they instigated them to fight the us for their own political interests and once they realized or they couldn't beat the whether it was the colonies or the united states after once they realized they either couldn't defeat them or that they didn't want to they completely abandoned their Indian allies to the, to the whims of the U.S., which, as we know, did not turn out well for them. So where I'm going with this is, this isn't just this didn't happen to Cossacks. This didn't just happen to Native Americans. Right. They, this is a colonial. Back the people. Yeah, yeah. This that's how you you don't build a, an empire that the sun never sets on by being nice <laughs> to everyone. Sadly, sadly that's not the way it works.
1: I was reading. Um, do you know who the original choice was to play Alec Treble?
0: yes arnold schwarzenegger (laughs) no i'm just kidding i have no idea
1: i heard that it was anthony hopkins and it it was supposed to be an older actor who actually could have been like oh i was a cossack back in the day or something and that he was going to be the mentor of bond and that he was going to turn it's going to be the same plot thread basically but it was going to be like hopkins was like the old bond mentoring brosnan or something
0: they made a good decision not going with that route. And that's not a knock. I just I just like this movie so so much and the, it works so well. I couldn't imagine changing it. And also I the agree. action scene I think I it worked like, out for him. would be different. I, no, I love it. I, I think it's uh, I, I wouldn't recast Sean Bean. <laughs> I agree. Um, one other character who I think we'd be remiss when not talking about is Alan Cumming as Buddhist. Oh yeah, and he is the computer programmer. He is the mole for. Oh, also we're gonna talk about Oromov, too. Let's. We're just gonna knock out the rest of the villains. Um, <laughs> there is Alan Cumming as Boris Grishenko, I don't see him here. But there's this. Uh, oh, it's Gottfried John as Colonel General Arkady Gudegovich Otomov. We're just gonna call him Odomov. Uh, so Oromov and Cumming. Orimov is the red herring villain. You think he's the main villain the whole time, but you find out he's not. He's actually working for uh, Giannis or Alec Trevelyan, in this case. And Alan Cumming is Trebek's, uh, not Trebek's, Trevelyn's mole inside um, at the same installation Natalia is at, working at the GoldenEye. And so just as that Natalia Simonova um, for Bond, just as Bond, Isabella, his lady, Natalia Simonova is his like programmer. That's what Boris is to traveling So they both kind of serve those roles. They have their own rivalry. And um, I really liked, <clears throat> I really like Yurimov. I don't remember. I always thought he was kind of a throwaway, but after watching this, I had a much greater appreciation for what he brings to the table. Uh, realizing that he's a red herring, but he really carries the part of the villain for like two thirds of the film. And then he just kind of dispatched non ceremoniously. Uh, and I also, I just like the oncoming as Boris. Uh, I thought he was. He has a lot of fun in the role. He seems like... it was. I
1: well, I was thinking about watching the Boris character that it's like it actually is a very early uh, version of like the hacker character that sort of evolves into Neo and then evolves into all the, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo. And it's like, I feel like that hacker character, I don't know, there's a long weird lineage of, uh, but it's like he's kind of like on that roadmap somewhere early on.
0: He is. There's always an outcast, but there's an element of being like self-exiled. And yeah. it seems like that too. He's just such a jerk. And you can see he's like, he is Boris and he is boorish. And he is very, he doesn't yeah, yeah, it's also, He's
1: like kind of the original troll, like white boy hiding behind his keyboard, like just talking shit to people.
0: It's like such he's a good totally point. <laughs> yeah, he, he really is. Um, all right. So that covers all, all of them. Do we want to get into, oh, and then Chuck Icario as the Russian defense minister, who you'd think based on his career He is the bad guy in in Bad Boys that year. Uh, But apparently he was just a red herring meant for the fans. He was the biggest name. And he's kind of introduced about like a third in the movie. And then he's quickly dispatched too. But he's kind of just a throwaway guy. But he works. I think he works too. I think all three of them work in in their respective roles as kind of the ancillary villains.
1: I think on first watch you might get a little confused. There's like a few too many characters, but I think like it was a movie that both of us are very familiar with. So I think it's easier for us to kind of like separate everyone. But I do think it's like, you got like multiple, you have the Sham K Jensen villain, then you have like Omarov and then you have Sean Bean coming back as a villain. I think it's just like kind of a lot of characters to, to keep in your hat. <laughs>
0: It is, yeah, and I think your point—they—they do a good job because I think they give everyone like a moment to shine, and they know when to let them shine, which it's easier.
1: Let me ask you: This is a weird uh, thing I just thought of, but like, what did you think? uh, Do you like this or True Lies more?
0: So funny you said that. I was thinking about this because True Lies came out, I think, the same year or the year before. Yeah, it's
1: very similar time period, very similar movies.
0: I think, I think this film. Try to modernize itself, and it's like this is the way Bond's going. And we just had there's some things it does really well. I think True Lies is a better, it's so unfair. I look, no, but I think you're right.
1: I think I'm in the same – where it's like I think what this movie does in terms of modernizing the Bond franchise is like a really difficult thing. And staying inside the Bond formula but also creating like an interesting movie. It's like I think those are hard things to do that they pull off. But like at the end of the day, I'd rather just watch True
0: Lies. <laughs> That's like – I because I, I, I actually thought about this. I was like – because a lot of it was reminiscent. And I was like, oh, they're both treating women as the same. But it's like I think True Lies was more of the first modern spy movie. And I'm I'm over – I think actually the argument would be born. But, yeah, but I, well, yeah, I think True Lies tries to be something different, or it's the American version of the spy movie. But it's more; it's like about it's a family drama too. So there's something very different in True Lies than there is in Bond. But at the same time, I think Bond. I think this is a step in the right direction in terms of like the overall mythology and mechanics of Bond, trying to modernize it. But yeah, I
1: do think yeah that this movie like more so than it like. At the end of the day, I think this is the most important Bond movie, actually, because it's the only one that, like, actually transforms the franchise into, like, a modern-day thing instead of, like, existing in the past where it used to be. And it's like, without this movie, the franchise would not have continued. It would have just died. Like, if they kept making them the same way with, like, Timothy Dalton and whatnot, it wouldn't have kept working.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that, because as as you say that... it opens my, my third eye, and I understand this movie, while some of the things we might be shitting on it for, this movie was, from my understanding, and looking at the box office everything, it was well-liked by the the legacy Bond fans, and as we said, this brought us into the fold as well. So this this really was a bridge to the two generations. So, so I think we got to give it credit for that. I think some of the things that we might be knocking it for, for better or worse, might have helped keep and hook the older generation. So... Mm-hmm i think, I think you're right. I think we've got to kind of look at it as more than just it's trying to do several things at once, not only just it's entertaining multiple audiences, modernizing it. and yeah, and, yeah. Find, and bringing things from the past that will be recognizable to the legacy fans and will still be liked by the new fans, which is hard.
1: That's to yeah. That's a, I mean, we just saw the the nose that the Star Wars franchise did.. Oh. When it's a- to be able to please your old-time fans and also get new fans and like and just make an entertaining movie all at the same time, it's a hard balance to strike when you're dealing with a franchise like that. And it's like, I mean, it makes me appreciate it more having seen the Star Wars thing.
0: And it's so funny you say that. I thought the same thing. I, I was, <laughs> the Bond films, I have a great appreciation for the Pierce Brosnan. For this film, I, I think some of the rest kind of suffer from a little weakness, But, but yeah, I agree. It, I, I had a good appreciation for the Bond films, and I still think this is my favorite Brosnan Bond. Oh, he's
1: a, yeah, I definitely agree.
0: I think they got worse and worse with each film. Like, to me, it's it's pretty easy. that They all get progressively worse.
1: He, Yeah, it's like, like I said, I just don't feel like he's enjoying the part anymore when, when he keeps doing it. It's just like, I don't like seeing an actor forced into a role he doesn't want to play. It's just not fun.
0: <laughs> no, okay. Okay, I'm glad you said that. All right. Sorry, Seth. I want to talk about Daniel Craig now because he is incredibly outspoken for hating the Bond character. And he has for about ever since his first movie. And the reason I'm bringing this up is Martin Campbell. I mean, Brosnan is too, isn't he? What's up?
1: Isn't Brosnan uh, similar comments from Brosnan, though?
0: Yeah, I don't don't remember at the time if he was outspoken by movie number two. I agree with you that the performance dipped really quickly. But Daniel Craig was... It was uh, it was either right before the second movie or right after the second movie. I think it was for the press leading up to the second movie. He admitted he hated the character for a lot of the reasons we're criticizing him for for being kind of a relic and being a misogynist archetype and somewhat of like a fascist character. Or There's a lot of things you, you, to dislike about him if you dig deep enough or if you want to. And he speaks about him as someone who really doesn't like the character, yet he keeps accepting these big contracts. And what bothers me about that is I think his performance has suffered. I think the first film, by the way, Martin Campbell, the director of this film, who we're talking about next, he directed GoldenEye and he directed Casino right. Royale. So yeah, he helped yeah. kickstart two Bond, separate Bond Bond franchises, mini franchises within the franchise. And um, I think both of those films try to do a lot of the same things. They try to humanize Bond. They try to give him a female counterpart who isn't just a love interest, but an equal. And they give him uh, a villain trying to give some... Personal element to the villain but i think one of the things that Martin campbell does really well here at least in this film with aspects to oh shoot i lost my train of thought sorry no worries no worries i just i just forgot what we're we talking about I have no oh, idea what we're Daniel, talking Daniel Daniel Craig.
1: Daniel Craig. Um
0: Um, just his just his performance generally I am gonna move on. I'm probably gonna cut this. we only got like two minutes here. Uh, no, I, I'm going i probably gonna cut my Daniel Craig thing, but I just think he, for sorry. for Daniel Craig, I think it's become really obvious really quickly that he just doesn't like the role. And I have no problem with that, but my problem is I think his first film is really great, and then after that it dips, and much like Gold and much like Pierce Brosnan. And I think the movies suffer for it. And my problem with Daniel Craig is he's just so outspoken about hating the character, then move on. Let someone else take over. Like you don't need to keep making them. You've made your money. Let someone else take over the role. It's kind of how I felt about Ryan Johnson. and like we you talked about this, but it's a little bit like when you want to change so much about the franchise, it makes me ask, did you really like it in the first place? And that's yeah. not, that's not it's not apples and oranges. but where I'm going with this was like Ryan Johnson. I don't think really liked Star Wars. I, I honestly don't think he, he truly liked it. And I I think the movie suffered for it. And we're going with this. I don't think Daniel Craig, he definitely doesn't anymore. He does not like the character. And I think these movies are suffering for it. So that's all I want to say about Daniel Craig.
1: I th- If if I was sort of the executive producer of these movies, I think I would try to learn from <laughs> the experiences of a lot of these guys, specifically Brosnan and Craig. And I think in the future, I would just sign people to three movie deals, and I'd be like, you get to be Bond for a trilogy, and then we're moving on to the next Bond. I think I would stop trying to do the extended, like, five to seven movie kind of thing, because I think that's when these guys, it's just too much for them. So I think if you are like, hey, you, you, you can really elevate an actor when you Proclaim them to be James Bond. And it's like, you get three movies, do whatever you want, and then we'll move on. I think they need to be a little more formulaic about that part of
0: it. I agree. And one of the things that that kind of bothers me about that is we've seen other franchises do it. They do it all the time. Their first, every time they get a new Bond, usually that movie does the best. Yeah, exactly. And like looking at these films, I always thought GoldenEye was the first of many great ones. All of his films were successful and they made between 350 and 400 million. I'm talking about Pierce Brosnan now. But this was the first one. I think it was made on the cheapest budget and also was remembered best. Like you take the chance, do it with someone new. And if it stinks, you make another one. The, I think that's the, the
1: thing about Brosnan to me. It's like he'll – I don't think he'll be remembered as the best Bond. But I think he does have one movie that's like in the at – like at the top of the list for like probably the best Bond movie.
0: That's exactly – he'll be remembered for this film – just because this is one of the – this is definitely one of the best films in the last 30 years, I'd say. I, I think it's – thirty. if you go to about 35, so, yeah, 40 like the, years, The too.
1: ones I remember really liking are Goldfinger and Thunderball. And then, like, there's one Roger Moore one. It might be The Spy Who Loved Me. It's like the Roger Moore one I kind of like. The Timothy Dalton I don't get. I never made sense to me as Bond.
0: The Timothy Dalton ones I remember watching uh, – Just I remember being a little kid and being like, this is Bond? Like it just didn't work, and I'd seen more. I'd seen Connery. I knew that different people played Bond. Just something about him didn't work, and I really like him as an actor. And I, I, I was thinking about it. I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but yeah, something about him just doesn't work as Bond. I, I don't know what it is.
1: Do you have anyone that you want to be the next Bond? <sighs> Don Bean.
0: Don <laughs> yeah, Bean. Uh, so <laughs> for a long time, I wanted to be Idris Elba, and
1: yeah, that was a big rumor.
0: I just I thought he'd be good. I do acknowledge. I mean, my, my whole thing is I know I'm not British. I think Bond's bigger than Britain. Like I mean, I don't know. He's he's beloved here. Like I I feel. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not appropriating James Bond from that culture, but I'm just saying it, he looms pretty large here. Um, it do, should not be an American though. That is something. I, I agree with that. I don't.
1: Yeah. Like I, I prefer it be a British or at least a, you know UK something.
0: And even, don't even have an American doing a British, get a goddamn British actor. Like, don't, and I hate, it bothers me, I think too often they get British actors to play American characters. And I mean, the fact that Robert Downey Jr. played Sherlock, even though I love him, like, come on. Like, you, you can get I a found British. I that character. weird too. I like, I like, I love Robert Downey Jr. I love him in that movie. But even I came away, I'm not trying to be a weird nationalist, but there's so many good British actors. You got a British actor to play. I'm like, come on. Like, okay, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to get off that soapbox real quick. Um, I Idris Elba. Outside of that, uh, I don't know. I mean, like I know Chris Hemsworth is Australian, not British, and I just had that whole thing. But I, I would. I'd be there was a see. i
1: i was gonna say there was a rumor about Mel Gibson before Brosnan got the part. Sh- Sean Connery recommended Mel Gibson.
0: Hugh Jackman turned it down. Wow. Before Craig That's, got it, I think wow. that was smart of him because he's had a fine career anyways, and he didn't. He had I can't
1: and then, like Hugh Jackman, I can kind of see. I can't imagine Mel Gibson with his rage. No. <laughs> spot.
0: As we've said, Mel Gibson's face isn't spy enough. You just know what he's thinking immediately. There's no cool complex.
1: There's no, this, like suave stuff. I don't know. That would have been a really weird choice, I think.
0: Yeah, that, I don't think that would have worked. Um, right, I don't but... know
1: who I would want it to be now. It's like uh, John Oliver. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny. Um, I could do that. I could, I could do a little, a little over. I'm now to they're think talking of, about. Like,
1: what would be off type?
0: Well, I'm know. asking you, before we answer that, who's your favorite Bond?
1: So, okay. I understand all the misogyny and womanizing and stuff, but I do think that Sean Connery is the original character. And if you watch, like, if, if you watch the early movies, like From Russia with Love and Thunderball, or not uh, Goldfinger, um, it's like I think Dr. he embodied no. Dr. No, yeah, I think he embodies the character in a way none of the other guys really do, where he's comfortable the whole time, he's having fun the whole time, he enjoys being bondful, you know Connery really was that guy, kind of he enjoyed sleeping with women, he enjoyed being a boy's boy. I That's kind of who he was. I think he he embodies the character in a way other people only like sort of like inhabited for a little bit. Whereas like he's actually kind of that guy.
0: I would I would agree. I know I just shit on him. I think he's the best Bond because he was my he was what I remember. Like I watched my parents on the TNT and the uh, American classic movies. It's it's Connery. When I think of Bond, I think of him. Yeah. I really like Brosnan. I think if if he had had one more good movie, I think he may have been able to capture that imagination. Much like Daniel Craig, who I think only has one good Bond movie. If either one of them can have one more, I think they can kind of maybe jockey him for a position. Although, not Daniel Craig, I do not like him and Bond. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, to me, it's Connery too. So, I know I just showed on him before, but I, I agree. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like he's going to be the one everyone's measured against. And that's just kind of the, the way it's going to be. But it's like, it's, uh, I mean, all of his movies have tough parts to watch with a modern lens. It's just
0: it's just one of those things and these movies are going to age worse and worse i think that's one of the things that i'm like sad about and that's sad. Yeah. it's good that we're evolving or moving forward but yeah just some of the things now i'm watching the more movies we watch i'm looking back i'm like sweet <laughs> sweet moses smell the roses what's going on here <laughs> um all right we were there any gripes we talked a lot about what we love do you do you have any specific gripes i see uh yeah, well
1: I, nothing too crazy I thought the the middle part of the movie is a little confusing plot wise I think the gold device itself is a little I understand that it's an EMP I don't quite under it's like the way that what they say is there's a nuclear explosion that takes place in space and then this satellite surges the EMP at a specific location to knock out all the electronic devices and it's like I understand what they're saying but I just don't understand how a satellite does that. <laughs>
0: There also seems to be a very physical reaction to what should only be affecting like electronics. Yeah, it equipment. should only
1: be affecting electronics and it seems to cause a lot of explosions for whatever reason.
0: Well, it's also it's a little convoluted as a plot. They they steal a special helicopter so they can escape the EMP blast. And then right. you find out at the end that it's all to steal from the Bank of England. And that was like one of my notes. I was like, it was also they could rob a bank. I was like, I did not remember that. And yet that's what it was all about. And
1: yeah, they wanted to knock out London so that they could rob the Bank of England.
0: So yeah. it was interesting. And it was a good, I agree with you. I, I think
1: the, the details of all of that stuff and like, and the same thing where I was kind of talking about how, uh Trevolon's, like Cossack background is very briefly described. It's not that's the kind of stuff I might flesh out more because you might bring out that character more. You'd might, you know, you'd show like all the tactical precision you'd have to really do to pull off all this nonsense. But it's like that's the kind of stuff that they kind of sweep over and they go more for characterizations.
0: I wouldn't yeah, have minded, yeah, if we had seen perhaps there was other events that helped disillusion Trevlin. Mi six uh, as just opposed to one memory that embittered him for the rest of his life, but yeah, I didn't like how the car- how the two main leads don't meet till more than halfway through the movie, and then they That's really good, yeah. they rush everything. Like the film works, but just looking at it now, they shoehorn the romance in with these two really quick scenes, and, and I don't really buy them as a couple. And spoiler alert: they don't make it uh, <laughs> into the next film. <laughs> but it just for me it i like the film and it works because i like her character their romance doesn't work and that that i know people are rolling their eyes oh you are criticizing bond for not developing a romance he's just sleeping with someone but my problem is this film i think goes to great lengths to try and be different and try and make her an equal and make it more romantic and to me it's not working it's just incredibly short and then she's great but this romance it just feels like she's kind of falling she falls for him immediately yeah, she like doesn't like. Him. I'm tripping over my words. They try to do something different, but in the end, she ends up kind of acting like all the rest of the Bond women, and so I don't. Yeah, think I know is. Is. it's
1: like she is more active in the plot, but at the same time, she falls for him way too rapidly, and it's like, <laughs> it would probably make her a stronger character if she had kind of resisted him and just kept going about her business or whatever. But it's like. I mean, he's a charming guy. I don't
0: know. I mean, hey, I will say someone smashing a tank through tons of buildings and taking on a whole army to save you, it's pretty flattering. That's a good guy.
1: They almost pulled the thing off they wanted to do with Natalia, but I think you're right. It's just like they meet too late and then they don't quite have enough dialogue between each other to make it believable that she's just like false form. But they, I mean, the movie, uh, it's like it's really good at leaning into its strengths, I want to say. And it's kind of good at covering up all the like little spotty weaknesses we just mentioned because it's like you don't really dwell on any of that stuff that long.
0: So I agree, and I think we got to give credit to Martin Campbell, who yeah. we need to talk about now as the director, who, as Seth described before this film, is a very weird guy in terms of his films. And I couldn't agree more with yeah. Seth. Let's talk about the film that he made before this. So time. the... The
1: movie he made before this, I've actually seen many, many times. I want to say it was on Showtime or HBO in the 90s, like constantly. And uh, my brother and I would sit down and watch this movie called No Escape. And it was like a Ray Liotta movie and he was like in this weird island prison with, I remember a lot of sticks and fires and it's like no one could escape.
0: They're going and for they, a New York, but, escape from New York vibe. With yeah, that.
1: yeah, it was kind of like in that lineage of movies. And it's like, but it's like as soon as Liotta shows up, you're like, you like, like, know this guy's going to fucking escape this place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a movie I haven't seen in forever. I could not recall the beats of it to, for the life of me. But it's like, I remember watching it a lot and it's like, liking it i also remember watching vertical limit which is a really weird movie
0: vertical Uh, limit is a movie i remember loving as i watched it and then as i walked out with our like my group of friends everyone was like that was the dumbest fucking movie i've ever seen and i started to argue with them and then they just picked the movie apart in front of me and i was like yeah that was a dumb movie but like i liked it in the moment like in hindsight it was bad but i it was entertaining and captivating yeah it's
1: actually it's a very entertaining bad movie um you're right. But it's like bad, but it's like it's very watchable. Also, like the Zoro movie was really successful. Um I don't know how much people remember that, but that uh, first Banderas uh Catherine Zeta Jones Zorro movie. That like, was a that big
0: was, movie for that was a big movie for Banderas too. It was after Desperado, yeah. but that was like the first time I saw looking at it, it made made for a hundred million and it made two fifty, which is successful, which is traditionally that's the border mark. But I think it was bigger for Banderas in terms of the Zeitgeist because that really elevated him to, I think, like, he, was a, he wasn't he was just a leading man in R-rated movies. Now he was a leading man in a family-friendly, like, Disney movie, and it yeah. all worked. but and,
1: the, again, it's like, he's like, again, that's a franchise he, like, kind of helped create, you know, and helped kick off. The same way you're talking about with GoldenEye and uh, Casino Royale. It's like, he's able to start these sort of mini franchises.
0: So that's what I was going to say. He's done four movies and two franchises – but I feel like he doesn't have – as you and I are – you are movie buffs. I don't think he has a really – I don't want to say he doesn't have a good reputation, but he doesn't have a big reputation. You need to kind of look him up.
1: To yeah. See that,
0: like, he, I was surprised that he did Goldeneye and Casino Royale, which I shouldn't be surprised about. Those are two of my favorite – those are my two favorite Bond movies.
1: It's uh, – yeah, I mean I think the, the Green Lantern thing did not work.
0: So that was one of the film I wanted to talk about because that – as we know, I'm a comic book fan. And that film, to me, is one of the. I mean, Ryan Reynolds even shits on it in Deadpool. It's one of the yep. shining examples of how comic book movies can go wrong. And I'm not laying all the blame at Martin Campbell's feet here. It's certainly not his fault. I blame. Uh, we'll go. We'll do a whole WBDC universe producer issue later. But that those movies have had a real hard time, outside of Nolan, and since the turn of the century literally since 2000 wb's had a real hard time producing these DC movies effectively and Green Lantern is one of the worst because they don't understand the character it is a a character whose power is driven by imagination and there's just no imagination in the film they don't know how to have him use his ring in interesting ways like they have him make a big slingshot or like a big trampoline to bounce something back at a it's bad a, guy. It's, it's just,
1: a character that works so much better animated. Uh, we talked like about they, this. Like they he still should have been able to transfer it with CGI or something.
0: It would be hard to do, but it would take a lot of effort and I think a lot of creativity. You can do it. But he's someone he reminds me of the Fantastic Four. It's a he his powers just work so much better in the comic medium. Yeah. For his skill set. To try but and yeah, that's... Not, I difficult. mean,
1: talk about your shining examples of... I mean, that's probably one of the... I mean, I think some of those Fantastic Four movies are probably right up there with Green Lantern in terms of, like, least successful.
0: People don't realize this. This was supposed to be part of the Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League universe. This film was made in conjunction with the Man of Steel film. This is supposed to be their... Iron Man slash Incredible Hulk combo.
1: And they would they just punted the whole thing, basically?
0: Well, they punted Green Lantern. That's why they yeah. rushed with Batman versus Superman. One of the reasons. I can do a whole podcast about all the mistakes that that studio made <laughs> with that IP. And we will. And we will. But uh, the, where I'm going with Martin Campbell, it's one of the worst movies. And it's one of those. It's not just a bad movie. And Seth and I have talked about this before. There are certain directors. Make a bad movie. I don't care. Like, if you're Steven Spielberg. You're going to have some yes. bad movies. If you're a Tarantino, you're going to miss. And whereas, why I say that is they're trying to – maybe not Spielberg in the last 30 years, but generally the the people who try and do new things, it, I'm willing to give you a pass. I really like Martin Campbell, but he's a little more formulaic, and he's not really bringing much to the medium. I th- that's really unfair. But I'm what he's a little no, more form- – no, I mean, it's. I think it
1: is fair in some way. I think he's better sort of like working inside the formula, like the Bond thing. And like kind of putting his own spin on it. I don't know if he can create, and
0: know, that's fine. You need those guys too. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That's hard to do. That working within a formula, a franchise formula, is incredibly difficult to do. And I, I'm sure there are movies I haven't seen The Foreigner, which I think is supposed to be really good. It actually stars Pierce Brosnan and was successful. He's had success outside of franchises too. I, I'm probably being too a little hard on him here, but he has some failures, and his failures are pretty big. And in pretty uh, epic failures, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you haven't, you can go through. I mean, like, No Escape, and we talk about it. That wasn't, a, that was not considered a very good movie. Either. No, it was not. And uh, I mean,
1: that that's like the middle of, like, kind of Leota's fall from grace, I want to say. It's like, this guy was a good fellow two years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a bet. But when I look at his career, again, he's made some films since. Do you think Green Lantern kind of altered his career? And uh, it doesn't, he's made films since, but not quite I would I mean uh,
1: I would venture to guess that he was locked up for like multiple movies with the DC people and I would venture to guess that like the movie failed so hard he had probably cut his contract and just had to move on to other things I haven't seen the foreigner either it looks kind of interesting though
0: I actually want to see it it's on Netflix I my plan was to watch it before we spoke about this but uh we'll save that for (laughs) another one um okay so GoldenEye I where do you put Campbell in terms of your directors like if you were to give him whether you want to do it on a tier system like one through ten or ABC I'd be interested to know how you rank him
1: um what do you in terms of
0: I guess like, like where do you put him in your Pantheon like I I don't think you're gonna put him up with Tarantino and Spielberg but like do you drop him down to those to that next level and the reason I ask is because when you look at his career he's had a, he, he's had a really good amount of success like his movies make money not all of them as we said but his movies have made money he's had success across multiple decades not really. They're mostly action films, so I'm not going to give him that much credit. I'm, excuse me. I think me, he's I,
1: like he's kind of in that uh, John McTiernan like Verhoeven kind of class. I want to say these guys that can handle these big budget movies. I I don't know, like if I'd put him ahead of like that, you know. I mean, I mean it's like
0: I think he's a genre film a, guy. He's a good genre. I think yeah. the, the McTiernan's a good one. He's a good, good. Yeah, genre like I think
1: it, like uh campbell's best movie i think is goldeneye mctiernan's best movie is *Die Hard*. i want to say um and it's like i think that's a pretty good comparison I, w- I think *Die Hard's probably a better movie um but like i think that's a good comparison for like for campbell
0: okay okay um i think we <laughs> talked about our gripes and we kind of brought it back to the director there is there anything else we want to talk about about this one
1: um Maybe I, I the the
0: final sequence the like showdown between Bond and oh, Trevlon yes, yes. on the on the big satellite dish. Um,
1: I, I was actually wondering, does that dish actually exist underwater? And it comes out of the like, is that like a real place? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I thought the the set piece was really well done. The effects to make it look real, whether it was real, if it's not real, it looked real. And the way they did it with the water, like chopping. I
1: I could be wrong about this, but I thought I read something that it was the same, uh, set used on, on contact that big satellite set in contact.
0: Oh, yes, I do know what you're talking about. That'd be interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know. know.
1: I don't know what, the, what they were
0: shooting. I don't know. I, I thought it was a really great set piece. I liked it. I thought it worked on a lot of levels. Again, you had Bond doing something. You had Natalia doing something. You had a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of stuff happening. And, there, also, and the that set piece is final... a big set piece.
1: Yeah, the final, like, drop for Trevelyn, where it's like, he looks like he's going to fall, and then Bond catches him, and he's like, no, it's for me, or whatever, and he lets him go. I like I enjoyed that that last moment.
0: I did, too. It was just added a little personal twist to it, because this whole time, he'd been cool, pretty cool about the whole situation, and it's just like, no, no, I hate you, too. <laughs> it was yeah. a real
1: British thing. It was like, fuck you, Cossacks. That's yeah. why we get back to Russia.
0: <laughs> and Actually, it really did feel like that. Like It was a little bit like Britain being like, it's okay to say fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding about that last part um, but yeah, no so, should we move into final scores,
1: sure, sure um, I mean, the difficulty level is really high it's not, like, we we compared it to True Lies but it's like, it's not the same thing because it's like, True Lies can do whatever they want whereas, like, you really have to kind of follow a formula with the Bond movies it's like, uh I think I'm going to end up at like a like an 8.1 where it's like, and I, I'm giving it like a, like if this, this was just a movie, I'd probably give it like a 7.5, but because it's like, they successfully did all the Bond traditional things and like made a good movie in the franchise, I think I'll make it over an 8.
0: I like that. I was actually, I was like in the 8 range too. I think I'm going to give it, I'll give it an 8 too. Nice. That's such a dick thing. I'm sorry. I'm going to give it an one. I don't yeah. exactly what you the,
1: did. The, the price is right? <laughs>
0: I was actually initially eight O. I was like, I was higher eights, and I was like, no, eight O. And then you said eight one. All right, you don't. No one needs to know that. Um, I liked it. It's one of my favorite Bond films. Going back and looking at it, I think it's more than the sum of its parts. And the reason I say that is, yeah, realizing that the main leads really don't actually have proper conversation until an hour and ten minutes into the movie, and that then their whole relationship is developed over another five minutes. It it's it doesn't. So it's shoehorned in, as I said before. I won't elaborate there.
1: Some... It's a little dated, but I actually thought it held up for the most part in terms of just like watching old
0: movie. No, no, it, it held up, but just it, what I'm really dying for is some of the, it was just, there are also a lot of helicopter crashes and remind me of a David Ayers film. Like, just yep. every time you need something to happen, there's a helicopter crash. <laughs> uh, I'm also, and I hate, this is, these films are famous for that. Uh, Mike Myers built a whole franchise based on some of the absurdity of these films. But when they have James Bond where they need him, and instead of just killing him, having him strapped into a stealth helicopter and having it fire a missile on itself to destroy him and the helicopter and the girl, there's just a very elaborate death scene in there where he could have just. There's shot-
1: definitely times where I was like, Sean Bean could shoot bond right now and be done with this instead he like straps him into this helicopter and does this whole elaborate it's a very classic bond villain stupid thing where it's like why would you do it this
0: way i just <laughs> i watching <laughs> it and i was like you're the genius mastermind you had him like you could have shot yeah. him you could have slit his throat no one would have known the fucking difference after he's blown up okay um but
1: oh no i it's actually it's to make it look like they stole that helicopter the secret like
0: no i, I know but was, they could have slit his throat put him in the helicopter and no one would have known because it would be exploded everywhere but i digress i I really liked it it has warts, but to your point i think it does a really great job of bridging two generations of fans bringing the character forward maybe not as much as we want but it brings the character forward evolve it evolves the character a bit uh who still needs more evolution as we said and then just as an action film I think the two best, the best things are the first and the last, but there are a ton of great ones throughout and it just delivers everything you want. There's romance. I also, there's yeah, humor, I there's th- action.
1: Yeah. I think between Brosnan, Bean, and, uh, Judy Dench, there's also like a decent amount of high level acting scenes out there in the, in the movie too.
0: Oh yeah. And I'll throw Bean in there too. I think Bean's yeah. giving it all he's got. Uh, I mean like Joe Don Baker's just having fun. I'm not going to say he's giving a great performance. Some of the other people, I think, uh, Famca jensen is any on top. she's she kind of goes into vaudeville vaudevillian at some point, but she's having fun too, and it works. So it's a film. It's more than some of its parts, and I think even some of its flaws, like Famca Jensen's character, like they work, and it makes the film. I also, yeah, it's film like, better.
1: I hope it doesn't get lost in the shuffle or the long litany of Bond films. Like I hope it's one of the ones that continues to like. That people remember because that's another thing that's kind of hard to do with bond you can kind of really get lost in the shuffle
0: <laughs> i think this one will just for the sole reason you said it's the only one that i ever heard people talking about of the brosnan films right i don't hear yeah. everyone talking about like live a die another day or world is not enough i can't i can't remember the other one something else it's clever but yeah, yeah. There, there's always something there um no. My hope is that – well, this is the only one we'll be watching in my household of the Brosnan. So that's my hope. That will be my contribution <laughs> to the legacy. All right.
1: Uh right. 8.1 from me, 8.2 from Jake. Was that what happened?
0: I think I gave it an 8-ish.
1: We're in the 8 range.
0: We're in but... the 8 range. It's an 8. Watch it. Watch it, people. Watch it. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye from Jake bye, and – <laughs> <laughs>